Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2442. Today we're going to have a lot of fun, so be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Pasadena, California, with a very special guest by the name of Bob Hall. Bob, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready as I'll never be. (laughs) There you go. I want to start by asking you a question that kind of breaks the ice to the listeners and to me about you, and that is, what's one little thing that most people don't know about you? I'm a wacko movie nut. Okay. Uh, I very nearly got involved in that uh, business, if you want to call it a business, but uh, <laughs> I was saved by uh, the gentleman who created Mission Impossible Man, Bruce Geller. So uh, I ended up uh, instead uh, working for car people, and not really complaining, but making my dad happy. <laughs> well, there there you go. Well, Mannix, yeah, I think that, that has some car relations to it a little bit, you know. I think he drove a cool car, right? Yeah, well, I mean, on some weekends, I got to drive his, this dates me, the, his Barracuda home on weekends. They had a backup car at the, the Chrysler office. And I, I would, when it was, when the TV shows were out of production, because they took a, a hiatus, I had a part-time job at the Chrysler movie unit, which gave cars away. And um, the guy that ran it would allow me on certain weekends to drive cars home. So every once in a while, I'd have Mannix's uh, British Racing Green Barracuda convertible. How cool is that? <laughs> it was pretty good. Oh, yeah, sounds like a good gig. I remember one of the cars he was really known for in that series was the Oldsmobile Tornado, a car my mom really wanted to get. Well, let me give you an introduction, and we're going to dive into your world because it's quite fascinating, and you have done a lot of things in the automotive sector. Bob Hall is an automotive industry consultant who specializes in issues of corporate product and design strategy with major manufacturers. He's worked at a variety of companies as director product planning, acting manager of design, vehicle programs, integrator, and executed product concept studies for multiple new vehicles, including Proton, where he was for seven years. Bob's worked as a journalist, as an editor for automotive magazines from Wheels, Automotive News. He worked for Crane Communications, Peterson Publishing, A Motor Trend, Auto Week, and many others. He was assistant to the manager in the design division at Mazda Motor Company, responsible for vehicle styling, concept, engine, powertrain, and other systems in new vehicles and he speaks japanese too that's pretty cool we'll be back in just a moment but first a word from our sponsors so please give them a little love and we'll be right back for several years now you've heard me talk about linkage magazine i've been a subscriber since the start their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Hey, guess what? Some of you regular listeners will remember back in 2019, I created uh, 10, 11 shows called Cars Yeah! TV, where I went to some 
fabulous locations of past Cars Yeah guests, and we did a TV show about it. Well, they're up on the Cars Yeah YouTube channel. So go check it out at YouTube. Just type in Cars Yeah, and the shows will be there for you to enjoy. I hope you have fun watching. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up. But my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. So, Bob, we are back. So I want to go back in time a little bit and talk about this very interesting and winding journey that you've taken in the automotive sector. You went from wanting to work in the movies to working in automotive, making dad happy. I kind of understand that. But I want you to walk us through this history you had today of a lot of fascinating different jobs. And how did you go from journalism to car manufacturing and back and forth? How did this all start? I guess the car sickness is the most important thing because I, I never, you know, that was that was my primary motivator. My dad was a car nut, and uh, he always owned this collection of uh, really neat open-top British things that inevitably would leak oil in the driveway, and <laughs> as it rained, they didn't want to start. But um, he would, we would go to any motor race within about a 500-mile radius of Los Angeles as long as it had a right turn. A right turn. So, yeah. So if anything's on ovals, we just avoid it. And um, my dad said drag racing was appropriately named because it was a drag. <laughs> so we went to a lot of motorsports events with uh, road courses. And, mm -hmm. and back in the days when Riverside existed, and yeah. he took us to the early racing up on, on the Monterey Peninsula when they actually raced through part of 17-mile drive. But I was far too young to remember that. He started taking us on these races like when we were two years old. So he was he was a long time nutcase. So I was going to do something with cars. I hoped I uh, ended up. I was at UCLA and I had basically all of my classes save one uh, canceled because of budgetary reasons. That was back in the good old days when if you had to to save money with education, you couldn't do anything with primary and secondary because the, the the parents would get upset since they vote. But back when you couldn't vote till you were twenty one, university students were fair game. So. Uh, that happened, and I was like, what to do, what to do? And I had, before all this fell apart, I had bumped into the editor of Motor Trend. I was in a, a design school, a car design school that was backed by General Motors, but pre-Art Center. And it was run by a, uh, a GM uh, designer who had come to retire on the West Coast. And I was at a stand they had at the old Auto Expo, which was the second auto show for L.A. And the editor of, of Motor Trend there, and I was bitching about an article. And it had all this stuff on Japanese cars that was wrong. And he said, well, can you write a better one? I said, anybody can. So I wrote an article and he liked it. Uh, and they ran it. And uh, 
later, this is now as everything's collapsing, I got a call from him and they had a job opening. And if I was interested in coming in, so I said, well, you bet I am. And that's how I got into journalism. Journalism was my in, for lack of a better term, to meet people in the industry. They had car, car launches. And when they had car launches, there was a whole bunch of, for lack of a better term, just senior journalists who would go there for the meals and for the gift. <laughs> for me, the biggest, the best gift was being able to sit down and talk to the engineers, the designers, the planning people. Mm-hmm. So that was that was my primary target on this. Then I ended up meeting a lot of these guys, and I, I hit it off really well with Kenichi Yamamoto, who was head of uh, Mazda R and D for Mazda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we were at launch. We were to launch for six two six. I would go to Japan twice a year, and every time I went, um, I was invited to come down and see Mr. Yamamoto. And one year when we were down there talking and we're walking through the design center, I inadvertently saw the the then brand new 626, but not yet released. And the, the PR handler turned white and I went into the office and Yamoto says, Bob son, please don't write about what you saw. And I didn't. Not at all. So when that car launched and Yamamoto came to the launch in Arizona, I always had my shortwave radio to listen to a thing called Nihon Keizai uh, No No, uh, Nihon Tapa Hosa. It was a shortwave, uh, non-government. Japanese radio station. I listened to it madly. Um, and I, I gave him my shortwave radio so he could listen to it. So we became pretty good buddies. And when I was working for Automotive News and Auto Week, I took my my springtime trip to Japan and got shuttled down to see Mr. Yamamoto. And they had launched, shown the SA series, the first RX-7. And he said, Bob son, what should we do next? So I kind of went completely spazzy. And on this chalkboard, I, I drew this horrible illustration of a car that used a First generation GLC, which was called a Familia, a uh, thing called X508, it used that primary architecture for the front and rear suspension, a little bit of the engine box. So I so said, why don't you do this? You can make a, 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 an inexpensive, lightweight sports car, you know, like the, the stuff the British used to do. Only it won't leak oil in the driveway and it'll start in a rainy day. Now, wait a and, minute, and Bob. Yamaha, are you referring to the Miata here? Could be. Could be. <laughs> um, and, and, and Yamamoto who was an incredible poker face guy. And he looked at it and sort of nodded and says, Oh, what are you doing tonight? When are you going back? I said, no, we'll go to the ball baseball game. He liked the Hiroshima car. So I went to the baseball game with him and Bunzo Suzuki, who was the PR guy at Mazda, uh, he and Kobayakawa uh, and Kishimoto were just unbelievably good guys at PR. They weren't bullshitters, which was unusual, but I'm going to erase this. And Bunzo took a photo of it. Now, two and a half years later, I got a call from Kishimoto, who used to be head of Mazda PR, but now he's the second vice president at the R&D center they just opened up. Mm. And he said, Bob son, come on down. We want to talk to you. And they offered me a job. Now, when you're a journalist, you get offered a job for a car company. They put you in the PR department. Right. No, they put me in design. What? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay. So I got down there, and there were three guys in design. There was a manager and one designer, and I doubled the 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 number of, of uh, people in the design side, side who were pushing pencils. And I also got tapped by the guy who was the kind of the, the guy starting the product planning and, and research group. So I was kind of doing, doing both of those. And in late January, 1982, I feel this tap on my shoulder and here's Yamamoto. Nobody, I didn't, I didn't know he was coming to the office and he's looking over my shoulder. What are you doing, Bob Sonic? So I'm doing B-series pickup truck. He goes, that's a waste of time. You should do your light sports car. I had completely forgotten about it. Wow. He he remembered. Yeah. So he said, I'll talk to your boss. And we'll get this sorted out. So he goes in. He's my boss. And then he had other meetings to go to. And my boss comes in and he goes, oh, Yamoto-san said uh, he wants you to work on the lightweight sports idea. 
expected. But we agree on one thing. You must work on it before 8.30 in the morning. Uh, you can work on it between 12 to 1, and you can work on it after 5.30. <laughs> there you go. So I did. That, that, that's where I got in the habit of going into the office at 5 in the morning. Yeah. And, I, I worked, and I did not push a single pencil on how that thing should look. What I did was I, I looked at the market. I looked at, at what were the pluses, what were the minuses, um, what would make the car something that, that people would want, what would make it different, not like something else there. And then, then the hard part was I had to try to convince people in the company that, that we should do this. It was interesting. It was interesting. The, the guy near there, the Masao Yagi, and Yagi was a Japanese designer who would post, was posted that I worked with. And about a year after I started, no, maybe a, maybe a year and a half, we hired a designer named Mark Jordan. Now, Mark was a roommate of my brother. I have an identical twin brother. And the identical twin brother was going to art center school, car design school in Pasadena. Oh, wow. And Mark, Mark Jordan was there and they were roommates. Mark's dad just happened to be a guy named Charles Jordan, Chuck Jordan, who became head of GM design. But <laughs> wow. Mark, Mark, bless his heart, never cashed in on his name. When he submitted his portfolio at art center, he used a false name. Because he wanted to go in based on what he could do. Yeah. And he was working at Opal. His dad, I guess, liked the idea of him working in Detroit, but he didn't want him. And we hired him away from Opal. And he and Yagi were the first guys to actually set pen to paper and start drawing what became the Miata. Mm. Now, we had a very bizarre package to deal with because we were, I was still trying to sell the plan. And therefore, I had to do whatever I could to work from the parts bin. So the car was going to be designed around an RX-7 rear axle and suspension components, mm -hmm. modified RX-7 front suspension. So we ended up with was a car that was a lot wider than you and I know the Miata, the first one, mm -hmm. because we were stuck with this track. And these guys did a damn good job. And the the, the direction the car got from those two is what the uh, the original NA Miata was based on. Okay, wow. without their work, it would not have looked like that. Now I wasn't saying do this, do that. That was their job. I was worried at this time much more about selling the idea. Mazda had no process to throw a vehicle into the product lineup that didn't already exist. And, and like every Japanese company, they were following what Toyota did. It's, the way, it's just the way the place was in those days. And Toyota was an interesting one because if you look at Toyota's history with product, they have never ever created a market segment until the Prius came along. Their whole philosophy was, if there's a segment, get into the segment and within two product cycles, you own the segment. And I mean, I've always said that actually another guy, buddy of mine, uh, Angus McKenzie, who I worked with with wheels in Australia, who went on to work at Motor Trend. Angus made a comment that was so utterly true, I couldn't believe it. This Toyota is the world's greatest manufacturer of a product they do not understand. Interesting. I genuinely agree that's the case because product planning at Toyota was under marketing. Now, I'm going to sound a little cynical here. First of all, there are very few marketing people working in marketing. Okay. Most of the people in marketing are salespeople who call themselves marketing people. There's a big difference. A salesperson can sell you what you want. A marketing person can tell you, sell you something you don't want, you don't need. <laughs> yes. Okay? And, and there aren't enough of them. And when, the, when they come around, they tend to be really good and they stand out like, can I be a little bit crude here? Well, I'll use an, I'll use an Australian term. They stand out like dog's ball. Okay. <laughs> okay. There you go. And they really Thank do you. That. But there are few, and, they are few and far between. So, I had to figure out how to get this going in Mazda. Now, things at Mazda were changing a bit, partially because of Yamamoto, who I, I kept, we had a really good rapport. They came up with a prom program they called Offline Go Go. And it was written as Offline 55, because the Japanese word for five is go. And we pitched the lightweight sports car on this. Now, 
it's starting to pick up some speed here and some support. And subsequent, uh, as this was happening, I hired Tom Matano away, who's working at BMW in Germany. It's funny, both Tom and Mark came out of German companies that didn't even realize it. And we brought Bloke in at the engineering group. Now, the engineering group wasn't doing much, okay? They weren't doing much with our work. They were kind of just, I guess, uh, researching technologies and sending the information. It was just one guy. And they brought a guy named Norman Garrett. And Norman was there supposedly for doing accessory research and planning. And we roped Norman in to help with this. And this is when the project is starting to get inertia. And they, they set up this offline go-go, and we were actually allowed to present the project. Now, the design is still on that original theme, but Norman had been pushing to play with the package. Now, our, our engineer didn't help much with package layout, and he should have. And one of the things that, that Norman came up with, which was utterly brilliant, was to take the rear suspension, the entire assembly, from the four-wheel drive 323 and put it at the back of this car so we weren't stuck with a rigid rear axle anymore. Mm. <laughs> this was great. Until the Japanese engineers started looking at it. Now, the project is really getting some headway, and they have actual layout guides working on it. And that got them thinking about an independent rear. But the one thing they discovered was, because it used struts in the back, it would have been too tall and there'd be no space to package the top. So that was the excuse they went to management with and said, we'll do a multi-link rear end. And if Norman hadn't catalyzed that, they would have still been pushing rigid axles. So that's a hypercritical issue as far as I'm concerned in terms of making the car what it should be. I would always, uh, if we had Japanese engineers or marketing people or anybody coming in, I'd volunteer to pick them up at the airport. And it got to the point I had a, a reputation in Japan, because they'd be saying, oh, Bob's going to pick you up in the airport for that hour down to Irvine. He, all he's going to do is talk about his lightweight sports idea. <laughs> Very clever, Bob. Well, I mean, if, if you have an idea and you can't sell it, you don't have anything. Right. And, 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 if, and, and if, we, if, you don't have, if you don't have people on the other end who like the idea and want to do it, okay? Because, you know, I get called the father of the Miata, and uh, it's very nice of people to say that, but um, the father of the Miata, if you have to give it to one person, it would be Kenichi Yamamoto, because Yamamoto understood what was going on here. I remember the guy who, who was the, the vice president of the R&D center, a real nice engineer named Uchiyama, good guy, but he went back to a meeting. I didn't learn about this till years later from Yamamoto-san. He went back to a meeting, and he saw Yamamoto-san, and because there's a lot of work going on unofficially on the lightweight sports, Yamamoto asked Uchiyama, what do you think of this lightweight sports? And Uchiyama, who used to do a, he kind of did his, uh, I don't think it's such a good idea. I don't see a market for it. I think it's actually not clever at all. And Yamamoto kind of looked surprised and nodded. But then Uchiyama said, but I can't really tell you. Because he said, there are people working on this project, and not Americans, Japanese too. It's a religion to them. He said, I've never, ever seen anything like it. And that, I think, spoke volumes to Yamamoto about going ahead with this. And I remember we ended up with a design theme. There was an office in Tokyo at a, in an office building across the Imperial Palace that did design work. There was the Hiroshima headquarters, and there were us, all working on lightweight sports. We had this front engine rear drive idea. The Tokyo studio was doing a mid-engine car, and Hiroshima did a front engine uh, front-wheel drive, for lack of a better term, in a way like a notchback CRX, but that's not being nice to the car. Just philosophically, it came off like that. Mm-hmm. We did a sketch program, and we came in last. And we were allowed to build a full-scale model. And it was because they felt sorry for us, and there was no intention to approve it. Okay? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so we did it. And this is where another place where Tomatano, 
he, he had just finished a full-scale model with an outside firm uh, for what was the our, our proposal on the Mazda MPV, which I may say was so much better than the one that Japan had done. That's another story I'll be better. So we're in our new facility, which was a former assembly shop to rebuild rotary engines. We have a, a platform. We have a, a proper design studio. We can do scale models, full-scale full models, sorry. And we do this thing, and it's a what we call a see-through clay model. That everything above the weight belt line is a fiberglass piece. It's got a fiberglass roof and windshield, so you can look through it. And that's the same thing that the Tokyo Studio and the Hiroshima Studio did. And we do the presentation. We did one thing with ours. Our hard top could be removed, okay? Uh-huh. And we had the presentation. We were allowed to do it, but we showed our model last. And the guy that was in charge of the Tokyo Studio was a guy named Sato, and I loved working with him because he was a complete maniac. We both were cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. And and one guy, once the, the head of design, who used to be head of the California studio, said, don't ever let Sato and Bob work together. <laughs> and, and, and then and then he set it up so we worked together a lot. You know, that was that was what Makuta was like. So at the end of the presentation, he said, oh, by the way, this isn't how the car is supposed to look. We lifted the top off and Sato stands up, points at it and says, build that one. Wow. Wow. And we ended up, we ended up winning the competition. Um, That's cool. But it still was not an official project. It was this offline, not in the model mix. And we started doing more work on it. And um, we had a revised package that was smaller. In the meantime, they took this full-scale model and they made a drivable car out of it with an English outfit. And it was based on first-generation Familia 323, or GLC, which is a rear-drive car. It used the RX-7 rear axle again. Okay, Um, And we brought it. Before it went to Japan, it was built in England. It came to California. We drove it around in Santa Barbara. And there's a funny deviant story in there about Road and Track magazine that I won't share right now. <laughs> but um, they gave us a new package. And this by now, Fukuda, who was head of the design studio in California, he's gone back and he's head of Mazda Design. And Tomatano is running the studio. In fact, it's interesting because Mark and I got asked by Fukuda, should Mark run the studio? I got asked first. And I said, you better ask Mark. But uh, Mark and I both thought Tom should run it. But uh, they, they went on the deviation of the project, and they, they changed the look so it wasn't the roundy, softy one that we had worked on. And Bakuda, when he saw it, was not happy. He said, go back to the original theme. So Tom did, and we did. And that's pretty much the, the first generation Miata you see. Now, we shipped a final clay model off to Japan. And if you work on a project all the time, you don't see the, the flaws in it. And it, it landed in Japan, and some of the Japanese designers said, geez, it's fat. It had some full sections and the chief designer or the chief project manager took and tightened it up and really improved it. And then we had the reckoning day. They're going to build it. It's in the system. And my boss comes and says, Bob son, uh, they're going to build lightweight sports. Um, you have to call Yamamoto san tonight to talk about it. So I call him up and I'm all happy. What is it? What is it? Yamamoto He says, it's a bad news. And I'm like, bad news. What are you talking about? Says, We're going to do the MPV first. And I was just crushed. I mean, personally, MPVs and SUVs, I don't like them. Yeah. Okay? It's just, um, but in retrospect, it was one of the best things that happened. It was great. First of all, between the time we were starting and the delay, the airbag regulation came in. Oh. So we were able to put airbags on the vehicle without delaying anything. We had enough time to do it. Do you remember the Mercury Capri? Oh, yeah. The Mercury Capri which Ford decided to hand off to Ford Australia to do the engineering on. And Ford Australia is a great outfit, I have to tell you. Was, doesn't exist anymore. But 
they got the car ready and they showed it at the Chicago Motor Show a year before the Miata went out. And someone pointed out it had no passive restraint. Mm. And, and the, the Mercury guys are screaming, why didn't you put that in? And the Aussies did exactly what they were told. And no one told them about it. Oh, okay. Talking about lousy communication. So they had to rush. And it ended up that that car would have come out a year before the Miata. came out almost a year after. Okay. So from my point of view, that's a, that's a, that's a real plus. Because it allowed us, when you're first into a market segment, you get to write the rules for that segment. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, that's the most important. That's why I think that when you do product, every once in a while, you need a product that is new that, that people may look at and go, I don't get it. Or they might say, what is that? And then they drive it or they, they look at it or they sit in it or they lick it and taste it, something. <laughs> and then they decide to have to have it. Okay. That's, that's hypercritical for auto manufacturers. You can't just spend your time doing what somebody else did three to four years ago. Right. Because there's that lag in, in the model cycle. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, you know, that's the NA Miata comes out. It get launched at the uh, Chicago show. Um, it uh, it takes off and does reasonably well. I think out here in California, people were getting seven. Dealers are asking seven and eight thousand over sticker and getting it. Yep. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. I argue it's a good No, I worked with a guy uh, when I was working in San Diego and I was driving a uh, what was I driving then? I was driving an 84 Porsche Cabriolet is my daily driver. Perfect for Southern mm-hmm. California. And he was, a, he, was oh, yeah. one of the, he was one of the younger designers in our firm. And he came in in a blue new Miata. And I walked out and I said, oh, this is a new Miata. And he goes, you have to drive this. He goes, you're going to want one. And I said, look at what I drive. What do you mean I'm going to want one? <laughs> and he said, just drive it. And I got in it, drove it, came back, and I said, I want one of these. This is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so I have to ask you this. Inspiration. When you walked up to that that board and drew that very first shape, where did that inspiration come from? Uh, I suspect from being raised in British sports cars. I, that's what I thought we were going to hear. Yeah, I remember vividly. We're going out to the, the Del Mar, Vista um, Del Mar Concord Delegance, which is a big deal. It was kind of like the in the old days, the uh, Pebble Beach or Southern California. Mm-hmm. And as we're driving down Olympic Boulevard, the fuel pump in my dad's Healy failed. And we didn't make it. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, and I had a, I had a 510, Datsun 510, and I, I, it was a big race car up in Mulholland. I used to race on Mulholland, too. Criminal. And <laughs> I remember thinking, why couldn't you have something that's as reliable and, and indestructible as this damn 510 yeah. that drove like those British cars? There you go. And then I, I did a documentation and I, uh, for Japan, and I said, basically, the idea of this car is it's a, uh, an MGB that won't leak on your driveway and will start on a rainy day. There you go. Well, and and that, was, that was the philosophy behind it. You know, and, and, and um, Don Sherman used to be a car driver. He and I used to talk, talk, joke, uh, joke about this. He actually did an editorial in Car and Driver throwing my idea out there. Now, when Tom and I were discussing this, Oh, Don, sorry. Don and I were discussing it. Uh, we were thinking the, the pieces you'd use underneath it would be Isuzu. Remember them? Mm-hmm. They did an Isuzu version of the GMT car, which was the Chevette here. And in actuality, if you're going to build a cheapy, lightweight sports car, the guts underneath that car were damn good. And, sure, and yeah. we, we kicked that idea around, and he ended up doing an editorial. Uh, never went anywhere, but I used it as ammunition when I was having to sell the, uh, the, whole, the whole Miata thing to Mazda management. Yeah. So I always ask people about special vehicles, but I'm going to switch this up for you. Looking uh-huh. at where the Miata started 
and how it's mm -hmm. transpired over time. And the fact that this is a car that's just still out there, lots of variations, probably the most prolific track car any manufacturer's ever made that ended up on the track and wasn't designed for it. Which Miata, looking from the beginning to now, has been your favorite? Okay. I, I am totally biased towards the NA, the first generation car. Okay. I, I would guess so. I worked on it. Yeah. My second favorite is the current car. Okay. Makes sense. How it's evolved. They, they, they've come back to a lot of what the original one was. Yeah. Yet they've come back in an environment that's radically different. So it crashes better. Okay. It handle it handles better. Okay. I, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an absolutely great piece of work. Well, it's kind of like what Porsche did when it went through some variations and came back to the 997 and looked like the old original Porsche, kind of, sort of. You know what I mean? I mean, the 996 yeah. got kind of weird. And then, so yeah, coming back to its roots. Fair enough? Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's, uh, that's, that's fair. That's, that's, I think that's, I think it's, it's, it's this is going to sound, kind of sound weird. And, and we're talking about differences here that can be very small. Mm -hmm. I think the, the ND is a better car than the Miata, but I think that the NA is a better Miata than the ND. Now, the difference ain't big. Okay? Mm -hmm. And it's also certainly been colored by my, my bias towards uh, the NA. But I mean, okay. if, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, you got to buy a car, it's got to be a new car, the uh, ND would be the first car on the list. There you go. So I like to play car psychologist here. If you were a car, you were manifest as a car, what would you be? No, oh, probably something uh, overweight and sluggish. No, sorry. <laughs> hey, that's I'm fair. Applying, you know, that's an I, honest one of the most honest answers I've heard. <laughs> just applying my, my my physical presence and such. Um, I what I I guess if I had to pick something, I'd be some sort of hot hatch. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. Again, I'm I'm not. I I was raised in small. My dad had a rule with any car he bought. You had my my dad was putting seatbelts in his 1950 Morris Minor. Okay, he was a pilot. <laughs> So he and yeah. we had American Airlines, American Airlines DC six and DC seven seatbelts in our cars. The American nice. Airlines logo. <laughs> nice. Um, but we we had seatbelts in them. Everything I remember riding it for crying out loud. But I like small cars. His argument was if the car is so wide you can't lean over to wind the window up, it's too big. So he likes small cars. I like <laughs> yeah. small cars. You know. Yeah. And people say, oh, small cars are horrible if you get hit. But this is this is the whole American philosophy of safety. Okay. Right. What's a good car to be in when you have a crash? Not what's a good car to be in if you have a crash. And my argument is small cars are harder to hit. Okay. <laughs> I love, I'm going to coin that one. I like it. <laughs> You're funny. My reverse attitude towards this. But yeah, I'd, I'd be some sort of, if not a hot hatch, a warm hatch. Okay. I like it. Very good. I had a few of those myself. One being the uh, first generation Scirocco. Uh, Jerry design car, beautiful car. Love that little car. Not really fast, but I thought it looked cool. You know, fast look. Michael Jordan, the journalist, not the athlete, said, "If you can't go fast with ninety horsepower, nine hundred horsepower won't help you." And he's absolutely correct. Yeah, I, I see the point. It's very, very true. So, how about books? I love to share books. Is there a book you'd like to share? Well, I've always been a fan of Jane's All the World's Aircraft. Okay, I'm an airplane. I'm, I'm an airplane nut too. I think, if, and again, I'm going to sound a little a little bit biased. I really like Jack Yamaguchi, uh, his Miata book that came out with the, the NA. It was it was um, early enough. It didn't it didn't get into that problem of history getting rewritten as mm -hmm. as it oftentimes does. I'm trying to think here, there's, but yeah, I like I like Yamaguchi's. And again, it's a Mazda thing. I don't mean it for Mazda, but it's weird. I have 
I think I've got about 18 boxes of books, automotive, mainly automotive design, engineering, um, history, and they're not doing me any good. I tried to give them to art center and they wouldn't take them. And I'm like, huh? Yeah. So I've got to rattle some cages at art center. There you go. Well, I love it. So let's go on the ultimate drive here. I like to be an enabler, Bob. I'm going to park any car in the world in your driveway. You can take it for a drive anywhere you'd like. And here's the key, since cars are all about really the people, you can take anybody with you, including somebody from the past who's no longer with us. So what am I going to be buying for you today? Who are you going to be with and where are you going to be going? Okay, can, can it be like a, a street rod of my own concept? It can be whatever you want because, you know, okay. the checkbook okay. is wide open here. I have, there are two street rods I would love to build. Okay. okay. The donor cars are from second rate auto manufacturers in the United States, which are out of business. I go chronologically. The first one would be a 1939 Nash Lafayette streamback two door sedan. Okay. And underneath it, the drive line from an R35 GTR. Okay. And yeah. power plant, power plant, the, uh, an M3. Uh, E36 M3 in line six. Love it. Okay. That would be that. The second one would be um, a 1947 Studebaker Champion Starlight Coupe with the same powertrain and drivetrain. Okay. I like it. Very interesting answer. And who are you going to be with? Um, Probably bring my dad back from the yeah. dead and uh, head up Highway 1. That sounds like a nice trip. <laughs> no doubt. He'd have a big smile on his face. Interesting. He'd wonder. He'd wonder why what a weird ass car like that. <laughs> well, though, and also why 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 it's too wide for him to wind the window up on the well, other that's side. That's okay. That's okay. But, you know, that's a very unique answer to that question. By the way, I, that's that's one of the more unique ones, most definitely. So I love. I love it, but it makes sense knowing you now a lot better with the design background. You know, you have taken us on a fun trip, and I have a feeling you and I could sit and talk for a long time about your experiences, and I hope we get to do that someday. Before I let you go, though, could you share some uh -huh. parting words of wisdom, wisdom or inspiration with our listeners? Mm, well, if somebody, if, if, if you have an idea and somebody thinks it's a stupid idea, keep working on it, because they may be the stupid <laughs> one. And you're... <laughs> You know, it makes sense with what you just told us, the whole stories, uh, the whole story about the Miata and how this evolution happened. But I love that more than anything, because I was just having a conversation with somebody before we, we spoke. Uh, Steve Ford, who's been a guest on the show, he's, no, he's actually known as the car guy for 40 years. He has that license. He is the car guy, quote unquote. And we were talking a little bit about that same concept and about you know if somebody thinks what you want to do is is foolish or stupid sometimes it's good to just show them there's not and go ahead and do it anyway even if it fails at least you gave it a shot and you can't look back and think what if what shoulda woulda coulda words of a loser right yeah i mean it's 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 sad but true but i i if you can't be yourself if you can't do what you want then who are you gonna be Bob, is there a way people can follow with you or keep up with you? I know you have a consulting business, but is, do you have a presence out there and other than maybe LinkedIn? Yeah, I, I have a Facebook page I almost never go okay. to, but uh, maybe, maybe this will stir it up. I hope knows, so. But, uh, yeah, yeah, is it just under your name? Yeah, well, I'd, please feel free. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, email you the, the contacts there and my existence on um, LinkedIn. That sounds good. I'll put links to all of these on Bob's show notes page so you listeners can uh, find him and reactivate his Facebook page. Hey, show him that, you know, 
we're listening. Uh, that would be very cool. And I want to do a shout out to mutual friend Dean Case. He's the one who introduced me to Bob. So Dean, past Cars Yeah guest, thank you very much for uh, bringing Bob to the Cars Yeah lineup of inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Bob, really appreciate you being so generous with your time and expertise. Christmas is coming. So Merry Christmas to you and your family until you and I talk again. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We're almost there. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Okay, take care, man. Tech Force is a charity of choice here at Cars Yeah. Auto techs are in high demand, but the supply? It's critically short. For every one tech who graduates school, there's five jobs waiting for them. Said another way, four technician jobs go unfilled for every technician graduate. Lots of young people love cars, but don't know how to turn that passion into their careers. TechForce Foundation shows them through career exploration, technical education, and the workforce development solutions. Join Cars yeah in supporting TechForce Foundation and its mission to solve the technician shortage by donating at techforce.org today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.